Hey, welcome to One Creative Act. This is a heartfelt conversation with purposeful dreamers, innovators, and community heroes who turn simple creative actions into their greatest adventures and biggest contributions to the world. I'm your host, Mary Lynn Jenkins. What effect can one creative act have on you, your family, your community, your city, the nation, and the globe? What can come out of trusting that you have something to share through your own creativity? These are the questions we'll explore together. Our hope is that you'll walk away from every episode inspired to get into creative action and motivated to try something new, something you haven't tried in years or something you haven't done since you were a little kid. This podcast is an opportunity for you to discover or rediscover your creative spark. I'm so excited to be with you. So get your walking shoes on, get the car packed for a getaway or snuggle up with a cup of coffee and let's enjoy some time together. This weekend, we celebrate Father's Day. What exactly it means to be a dad and to hold those responsibilities varies incredibly based on who you might ask. But one thing's for sure, if you've had a great dad or a great dad mentor in your life, you've been impacted in ways that probably direct and support you every single day. I had a great one and I don't take him for granted. He's probably had the greatest influence on me, both as a kid and now more so as an adult. I listen to him. I learn from him. I respect him. Above all, at this stage in his life, I want to honor him. I wish more men were like him. His values are strong. His faith is unwavering. And his example is aligned and honest. Today's special guest is my dad, Del Hill. We had a few tough moments in this episode, choking back some tears. It's actually a trait that he and I share. Emotions are something that we've never been able to hold back. And this episode was tough for me, not because I was sad, but because getting to have this conversation with him is something I've wanted. And for getting him on the podcast, if even just for me to have his voice both now and for in the future, it is a huge win. With his lovely Southern gentleman accent, I wanted him to have the opportunity to share with you, too, how he grew up and what his beautiful journey of creating home has been like in his 80 years of life. We talked today about his upbringing in small town Alabama, the sweetness of it, and the vivid memories he has of growing up in a neighborhood, a high school, and community where everybody knew each other and supported each other. He shares about life as an entrepreneur and how he's poured his life and creativity into his 40-year business alongside his wife, my awesome mama, and they've been together for 57 years. As the owner of his business, Selwood Farm, an 800-acre property that has held the name Selwood since 1834, my dad is almost synonymous with this beautiful place he calls home. It's also the place that I still call home, along with thousands of visitors every year who crave the specialness that only Selwood can deliver, fresh air, the great outdoors, and some of the best events and quail hunting in the South. He and my mom have built a life that is 100% about relationships. I actually love that my dad said in our conversation today, the business with its hardships, challenges, its growth and successes, it only exists and it only matters because it's a place for relationships. My dad served as a lieutenant in the Army. He worked in the Chemical Corps. He served as a senator, a probate judge, and as a graduate of the greatest school in the South, Auburn University, he still bleeds orange and blue. 
Among many amazing titles he's worn, I think the best one is Dad. Happy Father's Day to all the dads out there who are leading their kids, whether young or grown up like me, and leading their families with love, commitment, and selflessness. This is what I've gotten from my very special dad, and I hope his wisdom encourages you and inspires you today. Here's my very special conversation with my dad. I have my dad in town, and I'm looking at him right now, and I'm so excited. This is um, this has been a vision, actually, and it's it's fulfilling a vision and a goal to have you on the podcast. And this um, this season, I've I've shared with you that this season's theme is creating home, and you you are home to me. Oh, I'm going to cry already. But anyway, I'm so happy you're here. And I want to I want to um, just spend time because I know that it gosh, I love hearing how you grew up. So I sort of want to spend time just, you know, you sharing like how you grew up and some some strong memories that you have. And um, why don't you start right there? Talk to talk to me about your growing up. Well, I grew up in an era in a small town, uh, small town, Alabama, probably 10, maybe 12,000 people. Uh, the elementary, junior high and high school that I attended were all within the same city block and within walking distance of home. So I walked to school for 12 years. Uh, parking was never a problem because nobody had a car <laughs> and, uh, a few people did, but most most kids did not have a car. You uh, knew everybody's family that lived in the neighborhood. You were in the same classroom with a number of kids for, for 12 years. We were in the uh, – if we weren't in the same church youth groups, we attended theirs. They attended our youth functions, and uh, you knew your neighbors. Mm-hmm. And uh, we were in and out of each other's homes. You knew their parents. You knew their dogs' names. You just knew it was just small town, small town Alabama. Yeah. And uh, you, you grew up knowing your teachers. You had the same teachers there year after year after year. And uh, same kids that you ran with for a number of, a number of years in there. And so that was, uh, you know, just just a way to grow up in a, in a small town. What was the, the year, uh, Dad? What year was it? Like when you were like 10, Well, I was born in 1942, yeah. started uh, grammar school in 48, and graduated from high school in 1960. Yeah. So just went straight through yeah. there in, uh, in, in 12 years. So that was, uh, you know, pretty pretty precise and uh you know, compact, I guess, the, uh, the high school stadium, gymnasium, and swimming pool, and tennis courts, all within the same uh, three or four block complex. So you wanted to need to go anywhere. It was all, yeah. it was all right there. Yeah. And uh, you, you uh, just, you know, there was no, uh, you know, there, there were no dangers of being out, playing out at night and during the summertime. So those were just uh, things you'd be at someone's house at five o'clock. Why don't you just stay and eat supper with us? Did you, you know? Took them did, you know, when you think about when you think about how sweet it was, did you know it or do you know it now? Did you know well, it then or do you, do you realize it now? Well, I knew it then, but I didn't have the appreciation for it that I have now looking back to see how uh, kids are attending almost college uh, enrollment-type classes. Uh, they're brought in from all over town into a consolidated, uh, especially middle school and, and high school. We had 90 kids that graduated in high school. Now they'll have 900 yeah. that graduate in the high school class. And so there's no way you know any of them. Uh, and you don't even know their parents. We knew their parents. We uh, 
you know, you'd, you'd go in a store downtown and you knew the merchants that were there. There were not any Walmarts and Best Buys <laughs> and all of that. It was uh, right. Jay Payton, Weaver Rextall, and Goldberg and Lewis, and just, a, you know, just a small town uh, that, that you had. Uh, and there were a half dozen grocery stores right around the square. Mm-hmm. Now you have a Walmart grocery store. So that's just how simple it was. And the other, and the other thing, you could buy gas for about 20 cents a gallon, too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's and, not uh, talk about that. Uh, that's a big difference right now. Yeah, I know that um, one thing that I, I've started, I've just started doing it, and you and I have talked about it, Um I bought an ice cream maker because we oh. come and it's it's you. We come from a long line of incredible cooks and women who are so amazing in the kitchen and your mom, my grandma, oh my gosh, I loved her so much. I mean, she was like you know, like that's another thing. Like you just don't realize how good we have had good food in our family and how simple they made it look and every detail was handled and that sort of thing. But Mimi, your mom, made ice cream. Did she make ice cream every Sunday? Every Sunday? She made it nearly four times. <laughs> She'd make it four and five times a week in Golly. the summer. That Who was a, made uh, ice cream four and five times a week? There was a small local dairy. I mean, with, you know, right on the outskirts of town. And uh, we kept a cow too out there. It was an agricultural agent. And uh, we would go out there and just dip whole milk, whole milk out of his bulk tank Mm-mm. and come back. And so you'd put that whole milk in the refrigerator. And by morning, the cream would rise Oh, to almost half of a of a gallon or, or two quart jar would be about half cream, and mother would use to make all that ice cream in there, and so we we ate ice cream all summer long. Well, all it's been passed flavors. down. It's so fun because <laughs> so Mary Margaret, my my cousin, who is a, she got Mimi's baking skills and cooking skills and. And my aunt, your sister, she's got them. And um, and now I realize it's really just, it's continued. As, and particularly a sweet tooth has been passed down. Because I, lo- <laughs> I love baking something sweet. And I've loved already getting into, just into making homemade ice cream. And now my son, your grandson is in the kitchen all the time. So it's, I think we all kind of come by it naturally. But it stems from... Your side of the family. I mean, mom is a great cook too. And she, you know, she comes from it as well. But do you remember that being, you know, because we like we're preparing for a big dinner tonight. And it's like we've said this so many times, like food is almost like we don't we, we don't have an unhealthy relationship to it. We just know that it's like the heart of our home, just cooking and, and being in the kitchen together and planning for meals and trying new things and all that sort of stuff. Where do you think that, I mean, well, not necessarily where do you think that comes from? Do you remember that as a little boy? And like, oh, all yeah. three, you remember uh, it with Mimi just being a great cook and. Well, mother uh, graduated from, uh, it's now Montevallo, it was Alabama College for Women uh, with a degree in home economics. Yeah. And then she taught home economics for five or six years until I was born in a little uh, rural country uh, school that's still there. And uh, so she came up. And then her mother, my grandmother, I mean, that that era, they cooked. I mean, that was just it. You raised what you ate or you ate what you raised and uh, prepared it and canned it because that's what you lived off of until – the next crop came in mm-hmm. and so mother was around it. And then that home ec uh, degree and having taught it, uh, kept her in there. And then, uh, just w- was good at it. Not just, not just the cooking, uh, Marilyn, but you know, the sewing and everything to do with, uh, with home economics, which yeah. is not even, it's a lost art today. Uh, they don't even I teach agree. it anymore. And, uh, and so we were just around, around good food 
all of our life. Yeah. And, uh, and, and, the, you know, and right. beauty too, don't you think? Like beauty, oh, yeah. she she really instilled, I think, in you and Helen. And then, you know, we we were the lucky ones, the grandkids. We were so blessed for like beauty to be instilled in us. And we didn't even know what that, we didn't know what that was, but it just was every detail of the dining room table. And she was good with like her hands making beautiful flower arrangements and, you know, just all the details. Right. Do you remember all that? And needlework, uh, cross stitching and knitting and all of those things that, uh, uh, they lost arts. No one, uh, no one does that anymore or knows how much less, uh, doing much less know how. So, uh, but that was just, that was just heritage and that was just growing up in, uh, in the, you know, the forties and the fifties. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was, I know it was a, well, and I wasn't, I wasn't here then, but I, I just remember so many things about, you know, being young and being around her, just her influence, you know, of, of, um, handiwork and cooking and just keeping her home so beautiful and organized and all of that. I'm curious what, so you went to Auburn War Eagle, which is yeah. like the only, the only place to go. We come from a long line of that too. Don't we? That's, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that runs thick in our blood, no. but I'm curious. Um, I want you to talk about, um, you know, I know the story for sure, you know, of um, kind of what directed you to choose the the dream that you ultimately fulfilled, you know, living out on a farm and cultivating it and creating there. But I'm 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 really curious about. um, Yeah. When you look back on what you've created, what started it? Necessity, <laughs> as much as anything, uh, I ended up going to Auburn, studying engineering. I can't say I studied engineering. I graduated with a degree <laughs> in engineering. And uh, in the late 50s and 60s, uh, Russia launched a satellite in the United States, needed 5 million engineers, and Daddy did not see a, a future in agriculture. And so his encouragement, that's why I ended up in engineering and graduated two years in the Army in the Chemical Corps, came back and pursued a job as a chemical engineer and been there six weeks. And I knew I was in the wrong place and uh, finished out a year in that job and uh, left it and never went back. And then within a year, Daddy died. This has been in 1968. And uh, he and mother had started a small mail order business around agriculture and raising turkeys and further processing the smoked turkeys. And uh, I felt like we needed to continue that at least a year or we'd lose that customer base because it was a gift item. Uh, gift givers would go someplace else. We may not ever recover them. So uh, that fall of 68, went back to Talladega, lived with mother, continued that processing and mail order business and uh and then was asked to go to work for international speedway in talladega and so all that just sort of fit together we were living in decatur carolyn moved back to talladega we built a home and we continued the mail order business and the farming side of it uh the mail order business cattle a little bit of row cropping not much and then working part-time for the speedway well the uh Agriculture start. I just went back to my roots. That was daddy's roots. That was mother's roots. And uh, in Jordan, so I was to put more and more time and energy and effort into the farming, the agricultural side, which I, I guess, somewhat spurned 10 years previously, but went back to my roots and uh, continued that and still working Speedway and more and more involved in agriculture and less and less involved with uh, International Speedway Corporation. And then uh, really jumped in feet first with uh, in the late 70s and early 80s into the agricultural side of it, 
and uh, had a couple of really disastrous years in there financially in the early 80s. Uh, you can't identify with it now, but we were looking at 15 to 18% interest on money, on loans, uh, several, three years of down market, and uh, found ourselves in debt and about to lose the farm. And another story, another time is mm. uh, how that was prevented and uh, continued there and said, what are we going to do if we're going to stay on the land and make a living at it and begin to look at the recreational use of land. This was in 83, 84, 85. And uh, it was a new concept then. Uh, in the, oh, during the 50s and 60s and 70s, anybody would let you hunt their land. Mm-hmm. Yeah, go on out there. It's fine. Glad for you, too. But then it, other farmers were had, having difficulty and found out people in the city would pay you to let you hunt their land and they were looking for revenue so more and more more and more fee hunting became acceptable we didn't pioneer that but we were part of it but people uh, bought into it and so we started uh, a quail hunting preserve in 84 and uh, people did not give us a lot of encouragement but uh, we hung on with it in the other ventures and gradually, uh, fee hunting really became an accepted practice. If you're going to hunt, almost if you're going to fish, you're going to pay somebody to do it. Mm-hmm. Either a place like ours, you're going to lease land to do it, going to pay to join a hunting club, whatever. You're going to pay to hunt. And people accepted that. And so uh, through the years, and then, of course, we were about 50 miles from Birmingham, which was a good market area. And... Uh, Corporate Alabama was doing well, and so they had the entertainment dollars to entertain clients and uh, families. Oh, I want my son to know what I used to know as bird hunting and would pay to hunt. And so starting in the early 80s, and that's been, what, 40, 40 years ago now, uh, Selwood uh, Hunting Preserve, quail hunting, has developed into what it is now. And people say, was that your vision? No, my vision was just putting groceries on the table. I was just trying to survive and uh, and stay on the land. And this is what evolved out of it. So uh, we grew with the market. And, uh, and as we grew and improved the product, then more and more people came and uh, the fee hunting became much, much more acceptable. And uh, the market area expanded close to us, and that was uh, a plus. And uh, and so we sort of ended up where we are. So 16, we've been uh, quail hunting that 38 years, and we were the third one in the state at that time, and now there's probably 15 of them like that uh, and a number of uh, – uh, commercial quail, uh, quail as well as uh, turkey hunting and deer hunting, and also some commercial fishing lakes that people pay to fish. So it's a mm-hmm. uh, pay for outside activities, outdoor activities is very acceptable. And increasingly, people are looking for outdoor activities. Yeah. And man, this mess we've came through the last couple of years, anything outdoors that we can go and do with a family, well, we're all over it. So, yeah. That, uh, we did not suffer a great deal from that, but people enjoyed what we had to offer. Yeah. And, uh, and we benefited from it mm-hmm. and continue to see, continue to see, you know, a, a future in fee for outdoor activities. Uh, I mean, you find people buying campers and, and RVs and campsites and all of these things as people want to get back to outdoors, get back to outdoors. Mm-hmm. If you live in a big city, I understand why you want to get back to it. Right. It, it is a different the animal from where we it? live. Yeah, it really is. What would you that, say? No. Well, you no. just gave it all in a nutshell. You missed all the, you missed out telling all the juicy stuff, but I'm, I'm <laughs> about to make you tell a little bit more. What has been the, um, I'm curious what, what's been the hardest thing? It's 40 years, you know, and you didn't know 
and I've been right alongside a lot of it. I know you didn't, you could have never have imagined what Selwood has turned into, but what, if you look back, what has been the very, what's been the, the most challenging thing? Well, some of that one, going back to the mail order business and the food processing, um, and that ceased in 2006. And several things happened there. We were a federally inspected processing plant and increasing government intervention there. And you just finally say, I've had enough of that. And so you uh, you cease that part of it. And then you put it into uh, the other endeavors, which was the, uh, was the hunting. And, I, and then you go beyond that. I guess handling uh, handling growth, knowing uh, getting the right people to help you do what you need to do, uh, men that can guide hunts and know what to do, have uh, people skills, uh, ladies that can run the office and handle uh, you know the real hospitality side of it, uh, and we serve meals with our hunters and people that can handle that. So you have a lot of moving parts and just making it come together. And then I think too, uh, Marilyn, it, anytime you're in a small family business, it just takes time. And, uh, probably, uh, it took, uh, more time than we really would have liked to have been involved with, uh, you know, you're an Island, even though as much as we could, we wanted to, uh, and still, you don't have that time as if you're working a 40-hour week, eight to five, three weeks vacation. I don't you think know. you ever worked a 40-hour week. I think you, I <laughs> well, think it was more like a 100-hour week, actually. Well, we usually pass 40 hours about noon on Wednesday. <laughs> <laughs> it's so and, true. I mean, that so, is true. Uh, but, but by the same token, you know, y'all were involved with it. Of course, now you saw how hard we worked and what we did and say, man, I don't want anything to do with that. <laughs> Not but, uh, true. Not uh, true at all. I don't think it was true because it was enjoyable. And you met, we met great, great people in that process. And uh, and we saw families uh, make memories, three generations of the same family come and, uh, and hunt together. And the pleasure that they derived, and then we were part of it. We were part of uh, them having that 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 pleasure, and uh, but you know, still, it's just a lot of moving parts and piecing them all together and keeping it uh, keeping it <laughs> sort of it's between sort the garden. Of like, yeah, it's like a it is like a party every single day. Like you're throwing a party every single day, in a sense, and. Um, and you don't know exactly how the party's going to unfold because you've got so many moving parts and pieces to the party, yeah. you know. And then equally, you know, there's how many people do you think? Well, you probably know this from even just last year. How many people on average come through the farm annually? How many people came through last year? Would you well, say? in addition to the quail hunting, oh, in the ninety. 90- 90 and 94, we added a sporting clay, which is a shotgun, uh, similar to skeet and trap. That's sort of be a point of identification for most people listening. And that's where the real numbers of people come. But with those in the hunt, it's probably 10,000 people a year. Wow. Something like that. Because we started doing a, a, a form where we can keep up with emails and people that sign in and all that. And we can sort of get a, a rough estimate of the number of people in there. Uh, but probably 10,000 people a year come through there. It's unbelievable. So that, what do you think they, what do they love the most? What do you hear, you know, that, that people say, gosh, I mean, cause I, I know like to your point, some of the families that have come through that I feel like, in a sense, are some of yours and mom's very best friends now because we, yeah. we sort of grew up with them, right? You know, them being visitors and guests of the farm when I was a little girl, and now we're all approaching 
50. Yeah. And so I've known them for, you know, for 40 yeah. years. But what, You babysat some of them. I know. I babysat some of them. <laughs> what, what do you hear the most about, um, you know, from some of those people? And then I also want to hear, like, is there any distinction? Is there anything different in what you hear about first-time visitors? But the people, start with the people that have been there for year after year, 40 years. They've known y'all since the very beginning of what has been created out there. What do people say about it most? What do you hear the most? I think some of it is consistency. They know what they're going to get. They're going to get a, a quality uh, a quality use of their time. Because they're spending two to five hours with us of their time. And they want it to be enjoyable. And they want it to be uh, consistent with what they expect. And so I think we do that. And then I think some of it is the family side of it. We know them. We know their, their family. We know, oh, you know, what about your son? He's at Auburn now, isn't he? Yeah, he's doing this, this, or this. Uh, and you know, you know something about them, and they appreciate, you know, that involvement with it. And then I think uh, just uh, they they are enjoying they enjoy that part of it, but then they are likewise enjoying the time either possibly with a family member, a son could be a husband wife situation, or business uh, associate. So they enjoying those times and creating that atmosphere that gives them that amount of pleasure. Uh, and not a, we're caught up in a stale corporate mentality in this country. And this is not that. You come and you uh, understand, you know the people that are there. Uh, they know who they talk to when they call on the phone. Uh, well, I didn't see you last time I was down here. Where have you been? Uh, and, uh, and those type things. And it's creating that. And then I think you're creating a, uh, an atmosphere that uh, no one's going to be embarrassed when they show up or see or hear or do something that would be an embarrassment to them and or the person they're with in there. So you just, it's all of those are, are parts of, of creating that. And I think creating the growth and the success of it because uh, no one thing, but a lot of little things that uh, a lot of little things that uh make it happen. Yeah. Yeah. And people see that I, it is, it's, it's, I think that that's what I think people are, they've been coming for 40 years because it is consistent. It is like you and mom create an experience of, I mean, whether you're, you're creating an experience of home for people, you're creating an experience of, ah, you know, everybody that pulls down the road that arrives at the farm is just like a big giant sigh of, you know, oh my gosh, I've just, I've just let go. I've just found, you know, um, refreshment or whatever it is they're looking for, you know, connecting to their own family in, you know, hunting or uh, sporting clays or just sitting on the porch together. What would you say, um, what has been, I mean, this is a big question because I know you've had a lot along the way, but if you were to say what's been most rewarding up to this point in your choices around you know, you could have chosen a lot of things. I mean, we haven't even talked about your kind of your political career and things like that <laughs> that you got involved with. But you could have chosen a lot of different paths, you know. And this is the this is where you this is where you went. And I'm just curious, like, golly, you've you've done so much. What's what feels most rewarding about what where you've been so far? Hmm. Uh, I don't know. God's given me a great ride. And I don't know that any one thing, you know, really is, it's a, it's a lot of parts and pieces that have brought us to this point. I mean, 
going back to Talladega in 68, sort of started it. But in 1968, we had no idea where we were going with it. And then, uh, and then the, uh, <laughs> the financial crisis in the early 80s, whew, man, are we even going to be here tomorrow? And that moved us to this, moved us in this direction. And uh, are we going? Where are we going to be in five years? Well, we were still there, and uh, and so I don't know. I guess you look again. God's a lot bigger in the rearview mirror than yeah, he is right? uh, looking forward, and uh, and so you've got to put that credit there for moving us in this direction, and then seeing fit to. Uh, to bless it enough to keep it moving in this direction. And then it, we view it sort of as a ministry, yeah. uh, a ministry of, uh, of the patrons that come there. Cause a lot of them will comment on that. But then we've uh, ministered to a lot of employees that have come through there. Some uh, benefited from it and some walked away from it, but still it was there. And, uh, so it's hard to pick any one thing out as, uh, I guess, you know, the defining the defining moment. Because we didn't start out. Someone asked me one day, was this your vision? I said, no. My vision, <laughs> my vision was to keep the bike off my case and survive. <laughs> yeah. And this, and this is where we uh, this is where we ended up. Yeah. So. Uh, it's, uh, but I guess now the rewarding thing is seeing people come, they enjoy it, they appreciate what's there, and they understand where we're coming from. And uh, basically now it's our philosophy of life, but then certainly our uh, uh, the way we approach life and the way we approach people mm-hmm. and, uh, and minister to them. And that's our purpose. And that's our purpose in being there. Our purpose in being there is not quail and bird dogs, our purpose in being there is to uh, people that come through there and to uh, minister to them. Yeah. No, I, I totally. I think and pay that, the bills. Yeah, I mean, pay the bills so you can keep doing it. But <laughs> Pay the bills, that's you, right. You're good. You're so good at it. It is, it is such a, you know, it's hard for me to separate my, um, sort of my passion for it, my love for it and my association with it. You know, it's, I don't know anything else. I don't know what, what it feels like for other kids who, you know, pull up to their home. I can imagine that, you you know, if you grew up and you love going home, you love pulling up to wherever you grew up from. But I know that just in my relationship to the farm, Um, well, it's really, I, I'm, I'm most drawn to the farm because you and mom are there, honestly, you know, like y'all are really my main attraction there, but I do also, you know, I feel so benefited in, um, you know, being able to call it home and being able to, you know, pull up there and just get that get the reward of, you know, just open air and fresh air and incredible people and the, the consistency that only comes because of yours and mom's faith and what you guys have cultivated, you know, through, through every corner of the farm. Um, I feel like I just, I've been able to benefit from it, but y'all are y'all. The interesting thing, you know, when I think about how much I love it, I really love it because y'all are there. That's really why I love it the most of mm. all. But um, I wanted to just ask you to, um, because I feel like so many people, including myself, you know, I, I've done, I, I, I do work for myself and I coach, I coach small business owners, a lot of women in business on casting a vision for what they want to have happen and then also almost acting as the mouse, you know, and staying in details and enjoying a process, enjoying day by day. Do you, do you look into the future at all or do you just love moment by moment? How, how much of that is um, kind of a dance for you? Like, you know, I, I have to look into like a year, a couple years or, you know, I'm just curious. 
Well, you know, my daughter finished high school with you, so that gives you some idea of her age. Yeah. <laughs> well, the last time I was over there, she gave me 14 years. So I can... <laughs> <laughs> Whether that's right that's or wrong. That's so good, Dad. That, that's right. She gave me 14 years. years. Old. That's right. Uh, so that's going to get me way on down the road. We got so a long, got, long time got, to four, go. If I've got 14 years left, I can afford to look down the road. I can afford to look in the future. Yeah. Uh, so uh, I would not, with only 14, 14 years would be different than 40, I'll tell you that. But but still, at 40, you may go in there and put on a big building program and go do this and this and this. At 14, you don't look like that. But you do look at little things that can begin to make a difference because I think Having been there 40-some-odd years, we have an establishment that's there. And uh, <laughs> I don't say, if it ain't broke, don't, don't worry about yeah, trying to fix don't, it. Don't fix it. Yeah, if it ain't yeah, broke, and, don't fix it. And I don't think what we're doing is broken. I do think we have to stay current with what is taking place in uh, – you know, technology, which is affects your uh, your exposure to, uh, and I hate to use the word advertising, word of mouth, the best you've got, but still you've got to do a certain amount of that. So you've got to look at you got to look at that exposure. You got to continue to look at what people look for and expect when they come to your your business, anybody's business, and uh, and meet meet those needs, and then. Uh, just stay stay current with uh, with what's there, and uh, of course you you touched on the political thing. I think to some extent we have to stay involved in the in the public arena, knowing what's happening, be aware of it, promote the things that uh, and be uh, conscious of the things that affect your business and. Uh, Try to preserve that as best you as best you can in the environment that we have, and then uh, and then just watch what's taking place around you, mm-hmm. uh, so that you don't, you know, man, what happened? Uh, all of a sudden, you wake up and the trains already left the station and you weren't on it. Yeah, type thing. You've so, done a pretty amazing job, you know, because I know that. I mean, the learning curve for me has been huge and I'm 49 and I've had to, you know, have sort of a crash course through your grandchildren, you know, (laughs) and and some other people who have been really patient with me along the way, you know, just to get me up to speed with, you know, systems and platforms that do provide um, more... uh, some streamlined efforts and energy, you know, for a business. And um, I know that's been a big learning curve for you guys. But what I, what I want to say though, is this, is that you said something about staying current. I think that what you're, it's almost like your. I know you would never say this, but it's like your superpower. It's like the, it's like the, um, yeah, it is. It's like the superpower of of a place like Selwood and what you and mom have done there is you you are willing to do the work to stay current and also to keep a very very uh precious place uh preserved. You know, it feels and and you and I both we know we've heard this a million times. People turn down the road where the sign is and they just feel like they step back in time. You know, it feels like that. It feels like the most preserved, beautiful um, farmland and this, you know, specialness and all of that. But that preservedness, it, it requires keeping things current too, you know, not just, I mean, I'm sort of talking about technology, but you know, in all the ways, you know, cleaning the land and keeping up with, you know, what needs to happen and um, all those details. What do you want to say about that? It is kind of like that, isn't it? Well, it, it is, uh, but you still, uh, 
someone said with what you're doing, what we really do is managed neglect. You want the land to look native and natural, but if you let land be native and natural, pretty soon you've got a mess on your hands. Wow, that is so good. Manage neglect. Neglect. That's what you, yeah, manage neglect. And so you have to manage that neglect through different ways that you clear the land, you uh, control burn and uh, do mowing and, and those type things. But within those parameters, you want it to look, oh, this is just so pretty. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't look uh, artificial. It looks natural. Yeah. And uh, and that's not the easiest thing to do, but you uh, you try to try to maintain that because if you let land – you let land totally alone. Just leave it alone. Pretty soon you have really got a jungle on your hands. Yeah, so true. I love what you just said. I mean, that's actually, and now I kind of know where it comes from. I TF knows this. I've said it my whole life with him. I want my house to be new, but I want it to look like it's a hundred years old. Yeah. And I want I want my yard to be neat and I want it to look like a hundred year old garden. You know, yeah. I want it to and that's it. It's managing neglect and doing things, thoughtful things that add those layers of like, oh wow, this is really well thought out and well organized, but it's it's as natural as it could possibly be. So it keeps that preservation component. Which yeah. is yeah, y'all are y'all are masters at that. Y'all really are. It's unreal. I wanna I mean, I love you so much and I can't believe we fought back tears a few times, but <laughs> I, I wanna wrap up um because I because I want you to I want I want us to get ready for dinner. That's why. So <laughs> okay. um, but I, I have a couple of rapid fire questions to wrap up. Really simple, okay? All right. The, the first one is um, what makes you feel most at home? What makes me feel most at home? Uh, you talking about home at Selwood? Yeah. Yeah. Or uh, any, wherever you go. Yeah. But pro- Selwood is probably what makes, what makes you feel most at home about Selwood, I guess. I think, uh, I don't really know. Uh, I think people that are there that appreciate what's there and enjoy it and have been seeing it, seeing it over enough time to say, you know, you've they've, they've seen it. Some of them have seen it from beginning to where it is now. Most of them, but they've seen it for three, four, five, ten years. They've seen steps that have made there and uh, and appreciate it. And you're just glad, hey, that's at home. But at most at home. <laughs> Most at home is uh, in our home, a fire burning and just kind of sort of sitting there smelling the <laughs> smelling the smelling the smoke and uh, mm-hmm. just just sitting there watching it burn. Uh, yeah. And even some of those fireplaces at the country house where you sit there and you just sit there and just hear the. I'm talking about a, a real fire started with. <laughs> I know. Thank started, you for clarifying for people who don't know what a real fire. A, a, a real fire. Like you started it with pine kindling, <laughs> and you burn real wood in it. And every once in a while, it'll belt smoke back out in the room, mm. and you smell that. And uh, that's that's mm-hmm. Selwood. That's home. That is home. Um. Why is home important to you? Why? Oh my goodness! Why is it important to you? Home is home and family are foundation. They're foundational of our culture, and I am a firm believer that the problems in this country today can be traced back to the demise of the family unit and the disintegration of it. And if we could solve that one problem, I think we'd solve 75% of the other issues taking place in this country right now. So so family and holding family together and preserving family are are critical, are critical. Your grandmother's family, mother's family, there were 17 first cousins. They maintained a relationship 
their entire life. That's family. Yeah, that's pretty neat. Okay, now I'm crying. <laughs> um, okay, last question. Okay. What does creativity mean to you? What does creativity mean to you, Dad? Oh, creativity. Oh, God created, and boy, you got to look at his his sense of humor with some of the things he created out there and some of the people he created. But uh, <laughs> So he was a creator. <laughs> he was a creator being. And uh, and I think being creative is uh, an idea, and uh, it and the idea becoming fruition, and then becoming uh, beneficial, and uh, and <laughs> and in business sometimes even becoming profitable because not every uh, not every creative act becomes profitable, but I think. Uh, the, the vision, where, where there's no vision, the people perish. And so I think you have to have a vision, the implementation of it, the uh, the fruition of it, and uh, seeing all those things. Some are, some are short-term, some are years, some are even decades in, uh, in becoming reality. But still, uh, knowing where you are, where you would like to go, and making those, uh, implementing those steps to make it happen uh, over over time. Mm-hmm. Mm. I love it. Well, I love you so much. Mm. Well, that's that's mutual. I love you back. <laughs> and I want you to come on so we can eat some eat some vanilla ice cream over <laughs> strawberry pie. Okay. <laughs> no, that's not on my diet. Oh, shush. It that's is not so. on my diet till about, about 4.30 this afternoon. <laughs> I love you so much. Love you, Angel. Thank you so much for joining me today on One Creative Act. I hope this conversation has you imagining what's possible to move in the direction of the creativity you have and to take action to ignite it. I hope you're inspired and recognize that you too have been born with an adventure only you can create. If you enjoyed this conversation, hit the subscribe or follow button, write a review or share it with a friend and connect with us on Instagram at One Creative Act. Share what you loved about this episode on your Instagram story and tag us. New episodes drop every Thursday, wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. I can't wait to create again together.